Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Air Magique. Let's talk about the most magical place in Europe. I'm Eric, and this is the episode for the third week of June. Yes, today we'll be talking about our first ever walkthrough attraction on the show, Le Mystère du Nautilus, or The Mysteries of the Nautilus in English. But before we get into all that, some park news. Over at the back lot in Walt Disney Studios Park, the Spider-Man meet and greet that used to be there has been completely removed. Yes, even those big old taxis that were standing around are gone. Blockbuster Cafe is currently also closed, meaning that the Rock and Roller Coaster is currently the only open thing back there. Sad. Hashtag sad. <laughs> but necessary. I'm definitely looking forward to our fresh new Marvel Land that's coming, so I'll deal with it until we get those cool new attractions. Also, the Toy Story Playdays are now in full swing, which ties in perfectly with the release of Toy Story 4 on June 21st. During this time, parkourers can enjoy hanging out with Woody and Bo Peep, who has been completely redesigned by the way. They did a really great job of removing the uncanny valley creep factor to the previous costume. <laughs> she looks really fabulous now. Disneyland Paris also released some very Instagrammable Toy Story themed treats. My two favorites are the ham and Pixar ball candy apples, which just look impeccable. And you can pick those up at several food carts and kiosks located all around Walt Disney Studios Park. And a selection of the new Toy Story snacks will also be available over at Disneyland Park in Frontierland's Lucky Nugget Saloon. Parkgoers can also enjoy playing the new Forky Scavenger Hunt game available on iOS and Android. So the idea behind the game is really cute. As a parkgoer, you explore Toy Story Playland and search for Forky scattered parts that are hidden all over quote-unquote Andy's backyard. What's especially neat is that 40 Toy Story-centric prize bundles are up for grabs by playing, and I'm assuming winning the game too. Last but not least, there's an exclusive 15-minute preview of Toy Story for playing over at the studio theater in Production Courtyard, which might be worth checking out just for the cool projections and decorations in the theater. There are these super beautiful state fair type projections all around the walls and some that extend out of the projection screen. That's pretty neat. Parkourers can enjoy Toy Story Playland until June 28th, so a bit of a short 11-day mini-event. It's also now official that this year's Halloween season will run from September 28th to November 3rd, and that we are getting an all-new castle stage show featuring Ursula and the Disney villains. Mm, love me some Ursula from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> Halloween at Disneyland Paris is always super fun, you guys. They do a really nice job of decorating Disneyland Park, Especially the Coco area over in Frontierland, that's my personal favorite. Yes, Le Mystère du Nautilus, that's French for The Mysteries of the Nautilus, is one of many walkthrough attractions you can find at Disneyland Paris. It's my personal favorite not only because I absolutely adore the steampunk aesthetic, but also because it's the most immersive of the bunch, and arguably one of the most immersive attractions in the park. It's also the only attraction that remains untouched and holds true to the original vision and aesthetic of Discoveryland. Which, you know, <laughs> hashtag bring back the moon. <laughs> While the entrance to the attraction itself is housed in a rather subtle small structure with a lighthouse type fixture on top, what really pops is the gorgeous submarine, aka the Nautilus, that sits in the lagoon right in front of Space Mountain. But that's not the only place you can find the Nautilus these days. You can also find it chilling all the way over at Tokyo Disney Sea in Japan on the mysterious island, although the only place you can actually quote unquote board the Nautilus is at Disneyland Paris. The whole attraction is inspired by the 1954 film 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea that was produced by Walt Disney. 
At the time, the film was praised for its technical accomplishments, especially the famous giant squid scene, and won two Oscars for Best Art Direction and Best Special Effects. However, it certainly isn't the first 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea type attraction at a Disney park, but a refined and updated version of the original walkthrough attraction that was at Disneyland in Anaheim, California in the early 1950s, based upon the film of the same name. While the original version at Disneyland was comprised of a walkthrough of the original movie sets, Imagineers really wanted to take parkgoers inside the Nautilus submarine in Disneyland Paris. And... Can we just take a moment here to appreciate the sheer brilliance and design and storytelling consistency that Tim Delaney, Tony Baxter, and the entire team originally implemented into Discoveryland? Not only was the Mysteries of the Nautilus attraction based on the works of Jules Verne, the visionary French novelist, poet, playwright, aka the father of science fiction, <laughs> but so was the original iteration of Space Mountain, De la Terre à la Lune at Disneyland Paris. Now, part of this consistency is also drawn from the original Discovery Mountain that would have House Space Mountain, Star Tours, a restaurant, the Mysteries of the Nautilus, and a lot more, you guys, which was sadly cut due to budgeting restraints. Now, if you, like me, would have loved to have seen more of the Discovery Mountain project, parts of the original designs and ideas were adapted and implemented in Tokyo Disney Sea's Mysterious Island, like the counter-service Nautilus Gallery and Volcania Restaurant, which both serve up some fabulous steampunk design along with some delicious food, kind of give you an idea of what could have been a restaurant in Disneyland Paris. Although concept art does reveal that the Disneyland Paris iteration would have potentially been more of an underwater type submarine restaurant. Now one interesting thing to note is that although parkgoers may believe they are visiting the submarine scene in the lagoon, the quote-unquote underwater tunnel actually leads them in the completely opposite direction, just outside the public areas of Discoveryland, into a show building hidden behind some tall green bushes. So we're not actually heading into the submarine, we're heading into the bushes. <laughs> Part of the reason why this goes unnoticed is the winding staircase that one has to go down to enter the attraction, which helps disorient parkgoers so they don't realize this. Clever, clever. Harper Groff, who originally designed the submarine, was unavailable to work on the attraction in Paris due to illness. Instead, his friend and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea expert, Tom Sherman, was chosen to create the unique atmospheric adventure. Sherman worked closely with Tim Delaney, who was in charge of Discoveryland, to recreate six famous scenes from the film. So after heading down that spiral staircase, we pass through a dark, watertight corridor into the submarine. Here we hear some very eerie narration in various languages, and these really get you into the mood. Here's an excerpt of the original English narration that can be heard in the tunnels. This is the kingdom of Captain Nemo. Beautiful, is it not? This vast sea of wonders. Yet it can be dark and foreboding. Fabulous. <laughs> really nice. The first room we encounter is the ballast compartment, a dimly lit room with an open safe at the center. Inside the safe is the treasure that Captain Nemo has gathered from his many underwater explorations. If you look really closely, you might even be able to spot Nedland's guitar from the film Among the Coins. Next up is Captain Nemo's room. This cabin, complete with a bed and bathroom, lets us have a look at the captain's belongings and his collections of books and paintings. The bed here has always fascinated me because it's so cute and tiny. <laughs> I couldn't imagine a full-grown man like Captain Nemo sleeping on it, but maybe he enjoys sleeping in a fetal position. <laughs> make it work, Captain Nemo, make it work. The chart room is what follows. This room is the central hub of the Nautilus, with staircases ascending to the wheelhouse and the main deck above, which are sadly sealed off for us. <laughs> 
Several charts are displayed, including one representing Volcania Island, Nemo's lair in the movie. You guys, I just want to point out how insanely immersive this walkthrough experience is. I mean, it is themed from the wooden floor to the steel bolted walls, and yes, even the ceiling is properly themed, you guys. It's awesome. There are two priceless non-replica artifacts located within the attraction, a map of the East Indies dating back to 1794, and a book from 1638. This just underlines the level of immersion that one can experience in the attraction. After exiting the charts room, we enter the diving chamber. In the center of the small chamber is a trapdoor leading to the bottom of the ocean underneath. This is one of my favorite details of the attraction. The circular opening has bubbling water overflowing and is lit eerily from below. It just has this absolutely mysterious dark water feel to it. Like anything could be hiding down there. It makes you either want to dive right in or run away screaming. And the walls along the opening are rocking two gorgeous retro diving suits. Moving on to the main saloon, books, artifacts, and numerous treasures of the sea are gathered here. The captain's organ stands towards the rear of the main saloon, and by the way you guys, this is the original organ that was used in the 1954 film. As you move closer to the organ, you may spot Captain Nemo's reflection when looking into the mirror just above the keys. This illusion is accomplished by a faux mirror and a recreation of James Mason's face placed behind the glass, so when it becomes lit, it becomes visible. One could say that the attraction's climax also takes place here, the giant squid encounter. Now one thing to note here is that the original giant squid attack was more elaborate than the one present today. The original 1994 iteration began with the organ playing Johann Sebastian Bach's Toccata and Fugo in D minor, and a short speech by Captain Nemo about his ocean kingdom. Then the iris-style window shutters open for guests to gaze out at the ocean depths, until a large tentacle hit the glass. Captain Nemo ordered the window to close and tried to free the submarine from the squid's grip. Bursts of water from the ceiling would drizzle down on the audience, and the engines eventually broke down. Finally, as the window was reopened, the audience could see the whole monster. Electric zaps struck it, but it just would not unleash the submarine, until several more electric zaps were fired. Now, regrettably, the squid encounter has been shortened, but where it gets kind of interesting is the reason why the show was shortened. Now, there's usually quite a bit of research that goes into making each episode of Air Magique, and I usually cross-reference multiple sources when compiling an episode. However, depending on the source, some list the reason why the squid encounter was shortened was due to either technical difficulties, and others list a timing issue as the reason, so as to not disrupt attraction flow. If any of my super clever listeners out there know the real reason, <laughs> quote unquote real reason, I would really appreciate if you could reach out to me and let me know, and I'll be sure to share that in a future episode. Now, I was super lucky and got to experience the original show as a little eight-year-old, and let me tell you that I still remember it so vividly because it absolutely terrified me, and yet I was strangely intrigued and couldn't tear my eyes off it. At that age, you know, even though my parents would tell me it's all pretend and for fun, well, just with that level of immersion, level of artistic detail, it didn't matter to me. <laughs> it was real for that little boy sitting in the audience that wanted nothing more than for Captain Nemo to get rid of that giant squid. <laughs> now, the light version of the squid attack that we can experience today plays out as follows. The window opens to show the ocean. Suddenly, the giant squid approaches, its beak reaching for the submarine. After a short struggle, the creature is repulsed by an electric zap. 
While the light version of the show is not as thrilling or extensive as the original, it still is definitely worth checking out and seeing that amazing squid animatronic and of course the rest of this gorgeous attraction. Last but not least, we enter the engine room. This is the last room we visit before we exit the submarine. Machines and engines powering the propellers can be found here, along with a power unit on the opposite wall that's powered by some light source that Captain Nemo is definitely not ready to share with the rest of the world. <laughs> Le Mystère du Nautilus opened on July 4th, 1994, about two years after the opening of Disneyland Paris. Tom Sherman, who we mentioned earlier, was awarded the name of Admiral of the Nautilus before the opening. Tim Delaney stated that it was a dream come true for Sherman. Like many Disney attractions and experience, the detailing is magnificent, and you can really get lost in the moment. As a kid, this attraction may have frightened me, but the fascination definitely came in as the stronger emotion. I can full-heartedly recommend checking out the mysteries of the Nautilus, especially if you've just had something to eat or are just looking for a non-thrill type attraction. The best part, since it's a walkthrough, is that you can take as much time as you like in the fabulous spaces. Even on crowded days, there's no way to get in, so there's no need to do any sort of special planning here. Feel free to experience it at your leisure. Listener question. This week's question comes from Jared, who asks, Hi Eric, is Disneyland Paris a good place to visit for a wheelchair user? Hi Jared, thank you so much for that amazing question. So in general, I would say most Disney parks are good at accommodating guests with disabilities, including both parks at Disneyland Paris. Now there are a few attractions that one can experience without having to transfer out of the wheelchair, some of which include Ratatouille the Adventure and the Flying Carpets over Agrabah over at Walt Disney Studios Park. In Disneyland Park, Buzz Lightyear's Astro Blasters, and yes, even the Mysteries of the Nautilus attraction can be experienced without a transfer. Now, I did mention the Winding Staircase, however, there is an elevator available and a cast member to assist. Some other attractions do require a transfer, like the Tower of Terror or Big Thunder Mountain. There is an excellent resource available over the official website that includes detailed park maps specifically for parkgoers with disabilities, and it breaks down everything from which attractions are suitable for visually impaired parkgoers to wheelchair users. I'll put a link down in the show notes below. So thank you so much, Jared, for that amazing question. If you have any questions regarding Disneyland Paris, feel free to send them to us under DisneylandParisNow at Yahoo.com or over our social media channels. You can find us on Instagram under the handle at AirMagic, on Twitter under at NowDisneyland, and on Facebook. Please make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or whatever the platform of your choice is, and we would so very much appreciate if you could leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. It really does help out a lot. Thank you so much, you guys. Also, thank you to WDWNT.com, DisneylandPress.com, OnceUponADisneyBlog.wordpress.com, MagicalMouseHouse.com, and ED92.org, all of which are the excellent sources for the information compiled in this episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining me today for Air Magique. This is Eric. Have a great day. Bye bye. Air Magique is an unofficial podcast made with love and is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. This episode is not sponsored. All promotional or advertised content will be clearly identified. Audio excerpts and citations are used for educational purposes only. Copyright the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. <laughs>